Hey, this is Jim Larrabee. I'm the lead pastor here at First Christian Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that the words you hear encourage you, that they challenge you, that they build your faith and draw you closer to Jesus. So, enjoy. church. How are you guys doing today? You doing well today? Yeah, I tell you what. So, so Sandra gave a shout out to women and it was kind of weak. So let me just kind of recover us ladies. So, hey, woo woo to the ladies in the house. Hey, there you go. There you go. It happened so quick and so fast. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to make up for that because dudes, hey, let me hear my, let me hear my fellas. Us men are here. We're in the house ready. Hey, and good job being here. I know a lot of games and a lot of things are happening today, but you're here in the house of God, which is absolutely amazing. God's got a word for you. We know, we know sin and brokenness runs deep in this world. It runs deep in our lives sometimes with everything that's going on. But I'm here to tell you an amazing truth. God's grace runs deeper. Amen. His grace runs so deep and his mercy runs so deep. So no matter what you're bringing in here, and sometimes we bring stuff, even as pastors, sometimes I bring stuff in here that weighs me down, that keeps me from hearing God's voice. Know this, we can lay it aside, get it covered by God's grace and hear what he has to say. So maybe for you in these next just few moments, you just simply say, God, I'm here. I'm listening. You got a word from me. All the cares, all the worries, all the brokenness. God, just just cover in your grace. Just right now, cover me in your grace because thou art God. God is that good. So that's what we've been praying for folks all morning. He's been working in people's lives, covering us in that mercy and grace that he has for us. So it's been a good, good morning. Now, we are starting a new series, and I'm pretty stoked about this. It is in the book of Revelation. So we're totally diving into Revelation uh, as we're kind of unpacking it. We're going to talk about the first um, seven churches that Jesus spoke to. Uh, these were real churches in Asia Minor, and he had a word to these seven churches that's still apply to us. So we're going to be in like the first three chapters of Revelation. We're not going to cover the whole book. Some of you totally just were like, when you heard that, you know, we're doing Revelation. Oh my gosh, you know, but we're not doing the whole book. We're just going to do these first three chapters where Jesus speaks to the churches. I will pull in some of the other stuff though, some of the fun stuff, some of the bigger things that that we can talk about. I'll I'll pull it in here so that you give a bigger understanding of what God is doing for us uh, in the book of Revelations, how it can encourage us. But anyway, that's where we're going to be. So if you have your Bible or your Bible apps, go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and find it. It is literally the last book in the Bible. If you can't find Revelation, I can't help you. It is the last book. You just find the very end of everything, and it'll be right there, those first three chapters of that. Uh, Now, as you're looking for it, I I know sometimes this book gets a, a, a bad rap. How many of you guys have ever read just the whole book of Revelation? Anybody in the house? Actually, quite a few of you guys. Yeah, you've read it, you know? So sometimes this book, uh, we don't read it because it gets such a bad rap, right? You know, it's that end time crazy book. I don't do it. Jim, I don't need the, you know, the, the stress in my 
my life. I'm not going to read that. I don't want to know what it has to say. Those kind of things. So, so we look at Revelation as this book that's just crazy end time stuff. But listen, here's an important truth for you. God did not give us Revelations, this book of Revelations, so we go build a bomb shelter in our backyard and live in fear, Googling, you know, can I drink my urine kind of thing. That's, a, that's, that's not what God did. He did not give us this book so we go live in fear. You know why he gave us the book of Revelations? He gave us this book so we would know this truth. The king is coming and the king wins. Do you get that? The book of Revelations is that truth, that the king is coming back. He didn't leave us here just to go, oh my goodness, I hope we survived this crazy, chaotic world. He didn't leave us here. He's coming back. And not only is he coming back, but he wins. He wins everything. You know, how amazing is that to know that everything that's going on in this world, God conquers it. He conquers, he conquers death. He conquers disease. He conquers craziness. He conquers all political things. He conquers all, all uh, hate and anger. He conquers all of that in his love and grace. He wins everything. And sometimes it's just good to know the end of the story. I, I picked up a book just a, a couple of days ago, um, and it was a book I already read. And Jen actually asked me, hey, why are you reading that? Don't, don't you know the story? You've seen the movies. You've read the book. Why did you pick it up and read it? And I was like, because I need something that's not drama in my life. I know how this book ends. I'm just going to read it. Just enjoy it. No stress. I want to I, I do that. And that's kind of what the book of Revelations is, so that you can live life. Not crazy and stressed with, oh my goodness, what's going to happen with these political things? things, what's going to happen with these worldly things, I have no idea. God gives us an understanding of how everything wraps up so that we can live life knowing that at the end, he's got everything. He's got everything in his hands. He's got everything under his control. He wins it all, and we can live in peace. We can live in peace, and we can live in joy. Not, not saying that they're not valleys we have to walk through and mountains we have to climb, but we know where everything is going and how it all ends in his love and his grace. And you know what our job is in that? Do you know when you read Revelation that God gives us a job, you know what our job is? Our job is to invite as many people to the celebration as humanly possible. We know there's a celebration. We know God wins. And our job is to invite as many people as possible. And if, if you knew that your team was going to win the Super Bowl, like you just knew it, I, like God had given you that, you're like, oh my goodness, my team is going to win. That's absolutely amazing. How many people would you invite to that Super Bowl party? Everybody. Like if you knew they were going to win, there's like, oh, sweet, I'm inviting, I'm inviting you and inviting you and inviting you. I'm especially inviting people from the other team because I want them to be there so I can mock them. But anyway, you know, you have them all in there. You'd invite everyone because you know the outcome. You know the celebration. You know the victory. Well, that is our job knowing the end of this story that we invite as many people to this amazing celebration of God's victory as possible. So as you read Revelation, as, as we're getting into this study, that, and know that that's a piece of what we do, not to live in fear, not to you know, become hermits and go, oh my gosh, things are happening crazy, but to be inviters to the greatest party and greatest celebration that there'll ever be, God winning everything. 
In fact, Jesus, he tells this story. He's talking to his disciples, trying to get them to understand this truth. And so he tells them a story about this guy, this master who throws this party, throws this huge party and sends out all these RSVPs and people are RSVP back. No, 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 no. I'm not going to be there. not going to come. And so he says to the servant, which we are the servants in this story, hey, do this. I'm throwing this huge party and these people aren't coming. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out to the highways and byways and side streets and compel people to come in so that my house house may be full. You know what God's heart is? Man, his heaven is slap full, wall to wall with people from every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, people who love him and who follow him. He wants everyone to experience that grace and that love. That's his heart, as many people as possible in his kingdom. And that's our job to invite as many people to the celebration as possible. And so that's kind of just the foundational piece. As you look into Revelation, as we dive into this book, that's, that's the heart of where uh, we should be going and what should be settling in your soul. So let's begin this. Revelation chapter one, verse one. I'm gonna read a couple of verses here and kind of unpacking these first statements that are made about God in Revelation. And it simply says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that may soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angels to his servant, John. So he sent this stuff to John so John could write everything that was going to unfold. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to everything that he saw. Now, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. And blessed are those who keep what is written in it for the time. Time is near. So let's start with this word revelation. It comes from the Greek word apocalypse, which sounds like our English word what? Apocalypse, yeah. Now, when I say apocalypse, how many of you guys immediately thought zombies? You know, zombies into the world, you know, because our English word apocalypse kind of means, you know, a chaotic cataclysm. But, you know, that's not what the Greek word means. The Greek word is something totally different. Apocalypse simply means unveiling or revealing. And that's why it's called revelation. It's an unveiling or revealing, which probably means this, you know, when we do those uh, baby gender reveals, uh, we shouldn't call them baby gender reveals. We should call them baby gender, you know, apocalypses. How amazing would that invitation be? I, I'll tell you, if you are about to have a child and you're going to do a gender reveal party, I will pay for you and your significant other dinner if you call it a baby gender apocalypse and you send an invitation out just like that. Make sure you send it to me because we just want to make 2020 fun. 2020, 2022 fun. Anyway, so there you go. So that's just a little something, something for you. I really will do that. So apocalypse or apocalypse means unveiling. It means revealing. Um, so that's what we've got right here. What is it revealing? It is the, the revelation. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ. That what Jesus is doing, he's unveiling to us how this chapter of the story ends. Now notice I said this chapter of the story. Not, not how the world ends, not how everything is, just this chapter of the story. We are living actually in the introduction of the story. This, this is us in the introduction and it's, and it's just a few pages and it's about grace and redemption, but God has got this greater story. There are so many more chapters to this whole thing that we can't even imagine and we can't even fathom. So what this book is about really is the end of this chapter, the end of this introduction before the real story launches. So it's an unveiling of the end of this chapter, but it is about our future, which John says will take place shortly. 
Now I'll go ahead and tell you, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I, I don't know. I, I have some guesses. I've made plans on those guesses. We're going to hang out, do some family stuff, family time. I've got the day off. We're going to be doing that. But honestly, I don't really know. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's even going to happen this afternoon. You have some thoughts, ideas, and guesses, but you really have no idea. Why is that? Because time is our boundary. Now, you sure we can see the past and we, we can know what happened to the past, mostly, sort of. If we were there, we might can remember it. But when it comes to the future, we absolutely do not know. There is a boundary for the very next moment. Time is our boundary, it is our limit. But know this. Time is not God's boundary. Time is not God's limit. Do you understand that? That that means that God is fully present in this moment, the same way he's fully present in a moment a thousand years ago, the same way right now he's fully present in a moment a thousand years from now. Jim, how, how could God do that? Because he holds everything. He holds all of creation in his hand. And that's not just animals and plants and rocks and trees. It is space and time itself. He holds all of it in his hand and he looks down and he sees everything. He sees it all. He's a part of it all. He's working it all out. Our God is that big. Sometimes I think it's just good to pause and just think about how big our God truly is. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's so much bigger than us, greater than our, than our broken pieces, greater than our emotions, so much bigger than who we are. And there are moments when we should be in awe of who he is. And this whole thing about him just being bigger than even time and space itself. It's the reason he can say in Revelation 13, 8, Jesus is the lamb slain, that's the cross, from the foundation or the beginning of creation. Two events, thousands of years apart, creation and the cross, and yet God holds them at the same time in his hand, which means... Get this, God saw the problem, our sin and rebellion. He solved the problem, the cross, before we even became the problem. Do you see how he works? Saw the problem, solved the problem, before we even became the problem. How powerful is that? Now, some of you right now are going, Jim, can you just stop? You're totally tweaking my brain out. I feel like I'm in physics class or like I'm doing drugs, but my brain, it can't handle this. That's okay. That is okay. We should absolutely be blown away by the power and the might and the greatness of our God. Actually, that leads me to this very next statement. We should have no problem then trusting this same God. If God really can see the past and present and future, if he's really God of it all and controls it all, has a plan and purpose for it all, and is working it all out, my friend, why do we not trust him? Why can we not trust him with our moments and with our families and with our relationships and with our marriages and with our singlenesses and all of those things? He has power and he has mate, uh, he has greatness and he can see it all and he can, he can do all the things that we need done in our life. So we have no, should have no problem trusting that very same God. But I would say this, it's what the psalmist says in Psalm 18, that God is my rock, he's my shield, he's my salvation and him I shall trust. So it really is, is bigger than a feeling. Jim, I don't know if I feel like I can trust God. I don't, I don't know if I can feel your feelings. Honestly, it don't matter when it comes to trust. Because at the end of the day, we do all have trust issues, right? I, I know I have trust issues. My wife made rice. 
but it wasn't rice. It was that nasty cauliflower stuff that looks like rice. And she put it on my plate and she's, she didn't say it was rice. She said, oh, this is that stuff I usually make, which I thought was rice. And so now I have trust issues. We all have trust issues about certain things and situations. My friend, if there's one person that we don't have to have trust issues is with God. Man, he's got our back. He loves us. He cares for us. He's not surprised about anything that's going to happen in your future because he's seen it. He's, he's not shocked about anything that you're going to do because he's made his plan around it. Man, that is who our God is. And so we should choose to trust him. We should choose to trust his strength. We should choose to trust his word, his ability, his promises, his heart. He is worthy of our trust. And I believe that's a piece of what Revelation should do as we read it. It shouldn't create fear. It really should create trust of a God that's got it all in control. There's something else about Revelations that's kind of interesting. It's actually not called Revelations of the Future. I mean, it talks about the future, right? It could be called Revelations of the Future, but it's not called that. What is it called? These are the Revelations of Jesus Christ. Which means neither you nor I can separate the future of the world from the person of Jesus. I know people who try to do that. Hey, Jim, just pick a religion. Just just pick a religion. It'll all eventually end up in the same place at the end of time. All of us with God. And that's not how it works. Jesus is not one of many gods that we choose from. Jesus is the one true God in all of human history, past, present, and future, is tied to him. He's in it all. He's through it all. My friend, he is about everything. Colossians says this, Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, if you're wondering what he looks like. He's the firstborn of all creation. He was before it all, and by him all things were created, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Revelations is more than just an unveiling of our future. You know what it is? It is the revelation of the power and work and purpose of Jesus Christ. We read this book to understand more about who Jesus is, more about his plans, more about his purposes, how he's working, how he's wrapping everything up. We see his heart, we see his design, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That is the heart of our God that we discover as we read this book. That's part of the reason why the Apostle Paul says, blessed, blessed are you who read it. Blessed are you who listen to it. Blessed are you who live it. Why? Because we discover more about who our Jesus is. Now, the other thing is kind of who this revelation was given to. It's kind of interesting. God gave this revelation to a guy named John. And we all know the Apostle John because we, we're kind of pretty familiar with the New Testament, right? Uh, at this point in John's life, when he's given this, he's the old guy. John's about 80 years old when God steps up and gives him this revelation. He's lived longer than any other disciple because they were all martyred. He's been imprisoned at this point on this island that's freezing cold. They put him on the island thinking he'd die, but he's out in the middle of this ocean on an island. It's cold, freezing. He's there. He survives. He lives. Most people, honestly, at this stage would think ministry life and work is done for this guy. I mean, he's, he's in his 80s, he's on an island, he's crazy isolated. I guess God is done with him, just kind of threw him up and threw him away. But you know what the good heart of our God is all about? That from God's perspective, oh, he's just getting started. 
He is just getting started with John. Even though he's older, even though he's on this isolated island in this situation, God is going to move in John at this season of his life, in his 80s, at this season of his life, to write the gospel of John. At this point, this is when he writes that, and he tells us about the belief in Jesus. And then he's going to write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which tells us about how to be sure of Jesus, you know, having confidence in our faith. And then, obviously, what we're reading now, he writes the Revelation, which is being ready for Jesus. And I love this. In our church, we celebrate the up and coming generation. We know uh, our teenagers and our young adults, man, God is going to use them to carry Christianity forward. It's amazing. We have them on stage. We do everything we can for them to grow them up in the knowledge and grace of God. But let me also say this. There is amazing value and worth in those folks that have already done the journey. Those folks that have, that have walked the walk and lived the talk and that are in our churches that, that are in that older category. And sometimes they go, I, I, does the church have any value and worth for me? And I'm here to tell you, absolutely yes. And I'll go ahead and say this. There's no such thing as retirement in God's kingdom. There's just reassignment. And God wants to use your wisdom and your knowledge and your heart to teach all of us younger folks what it means to follow God. He's not through with any of us yet. You're not too young and you're not too old. God uses his people in amazing ways. And John in his 80s, God is just getting started with him. And so he writes this book, this book of Revelation, that simply is a book to tell us to be ready. To be ready for the end of the world? No. To be ready for a new beginning. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, you know what the last two chapters are about. It's about the new beginning that God has for each of us. And I think we don't talk about this often enough. So let me just read a portion of chapter 21 to you. This is, this is how God's going to start the next chapter. Here it is. This is a chapter for us. And John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth, they had passed away and there was no more sea. And I saw this, this holy city, this amazing city, call it the new Jerusalem. It was coming down from heaven, prepared like a bride adorned from her husband. One of my most favorite moments in weddings is when, is when the dude is standing there and he hasn't seen his, his bride coming down. Sometimes they see each other, but a lot of times they don't. And, and that first look, and he's like there, and he's like talking to me, dude, I think this is a good idea. I think I should be doing this. We're, we're doing this right, and I'm like, yes, yes, you're not leaving. You're here. We're doing this. And then he sees her. And then he sees you. She comes around the corner and she's coming down. It could be a simple dress. It could be whatever. But that moment that the groom sees the bride and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And that's the moment that I see the guys go all in. Oh yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> you know, they're just like, yes, this, this is what I've been waiting for. There's my bride. There she is. I do. They would do everything right then. I do. I do. I do. They would do everything right then and there. That's this moment. When, when, when this new city and this new world is, is coming down that we look and we see, we're like, yes, I do. I'm in. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is now where? With man, it's with people, it's with human beings. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe, this is that grace of great verses, and he will wipe every tear from their eye and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. All those former things, they will be gone. And he who is seated on the throne says this, behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down, John. This is good for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And then he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
to the thirsty, I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, he will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son or my daughter. I love that imagery right at the very end to he who is thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty for the end of disease? Have you ever been thirsty for the end of sickness? Been thirsty for the end of memorials and funerals and hospital visits? Ever been thirsty for the end of, of, of brokenness and relationships and divorce? Have you been thirsty for the, for the end of just chaos and hate and anger and injustice in this world? Have you ever been thirsty for those things? Man, I've thirsted for that. And Jesus says, there's going to come a day when I will slake that thirst. <laughs> when I will fill you with the water of life and those things, those things will be no more. You will be quenched by my love and my grace and those things will no longer exist in this world. Faint memories to the goodness that I prepared for you. It's a beautiful picture of what God has given us and where this whole story is going. So the, the overarching question in Revelation isn't, you know, who's the Antichrist? It isn't, you know, what is the mark of the beast? It isn't, when is Jesus coming back? Some people read Revelation and go, oh, that's the, that's the question. You know, you read Revelations to find out when Jesus is coming back, right? No. By the way, if anyone ever comes up to you and tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, usually twice a year. I don't know why about twice a year, but usually twice a year, someone usually approaches me on a Sunday morning and they kind of slide up beside me and say, Jim, Jim. And I'm, I'm usually praying with my hands up and it freaks me out. Turn over, oh, yes, yeah. What? Yes. Just heads up, I know when Jesus is coming back. And I usually take about two steps over. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, dude, you're a little cray-cray because I know scripture and I know that no one knows. And so if someone's claiming that they know when Jesus is coming back, we just love them and hug them and go, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because Jesus said in scripture, no man knows. No man knows when he's coming back that, that God has it fixed in his own timing and his own authority. Well, we do know this is that it's going to be soon. That's the thing I do tell them. Hey, listen, you don't know the day, the time. That's just not something we have access to. But I do know it's going to be soon. That's what the Bible does tell us to be watching and waiting and looking because Jesus is going to show up soon. Now, I get that John wrote these words that it's going to be soon. We read that in verse one, 2,000 years ago. So some of you are really, really questioning my definition of soon right now. You're like, soon, bro. Bro, 2,000 years? Seriously? What's up? That's not soon in my book. And I understand that. But, but I want to read something to you. Uh, I think it's really powerful because someone asked Peter the same question. Jesus had been just gone for six or seven years and, and they knew Jesus was coming back. And they said, Peter, when's Jesus coming back? It's been like seven years. Come on, man. Is this even going to happen? And Peter wrote these words in the book of Second Peter speaking to this. He says this, hey, do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That the Lord, uh, but that the Lord is one day, but with the Lord, one day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There are two truths here. First, a thousand days to God or a thousand years to God is just like one day. So if you do the math, 2,000 years, God's on day two. So, so for us, it might seem like a while, but God is like, hey, he just said that the day before yesterday. Just cool your jets. That's how God works. 
Now, something else is really, really important is you're like, well, why is God even waiting? Why is he even waiting two days in this timetable? Why did not God just come on back? Because scripture tells us he waits to allow more people to hear the gospel. He waits to allow more people to come to a party. He waits so that more people can experience his grace and his mercy. And while we may think God is slow, he is really being patient so that more people can encounter his love and his grace and his mercy and his truth. That's what God does. That is the good heart of our God. So the overarching question in Revelation isn't when will it happen? You know the overarching question of Revelation? Is are we living like people who are ready to meet their king? That's the question of Revelation. When you read this book, when you hear these stories, when you see what God is saying, he's simply saying this, are we ready? Are we living like people who are ready to meet their king? In fact, in these next couple of verses, in these next couple of chapters, that's what Jesus is going to teach his church. He's going to say, hey, let me help you get ready. Let me help your heart. Let me help your, your journey, your truth. Your... He's going to give us some amazing things to help us get ready for the day that he shows up. Now, I had to sit with this question all week long, and it, it has landed in my soul. Jim, am I ready to meet my king? If Jesus showed up today, would I be ready? And I'll go ahead and tell you, even as a pastor, not so much. And I thought about my marriage and some things that I would actually, if, if today was it and Jesus was coming back, there's some things that I would want to say to my wife. I thought about my kids. There's some things I would want to teach and say to my kids, you know, people that I work with, people, you know, circles of my extended family. There's some things I want to say, some things I'd want to do. There's some, there's some pieces that when I come to God, I would want to say, you gave me that talent. You gave me that gift. You gave me that ability. And, and God, here's how I used them in your kingdom. And so when I thought about this question, it's really landed in my heart, my soul. Am I ready? Am I ready to meet my king? And that's, that's what John wants us to get as we read the book of Revelations. Not end times, not, not prophecies, not the four horses of the apocalypse. It's just, are you ready to meet King Jesus? And I think for some of us in this room, that is a really critical question. God has thrown out this party invitation. He says, man, I'm, man the, the party that I'm going to throw at the end of all this is going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And he sent all of us this invitation. But some of us have RSVP'd no. I'm, I'm not interested. I got things to do. I just said, man, I, I, I shower on Saturday night. You know, I can't do that thing. I can't be there. And what we've got to be challenged with is, is maybe today's the day that you just scratch out that no and you say, hey, listen, no, I, I'm ready. I'm coming to this party. I'm willing to surrender my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I don't want to miss any of this. It is going to be good and it is going to be glorious. I am all in. We've got a prayer room of folks that are ready to pray with you, to introduce you to Jesus Christ. It happens every Sunday around here and I love it. People become Christ followers and it's incredible. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today is the day that you just go all in with Jesus. But I think this question is even real for you and I as Christians. That as I live life, as I do the things that I am called to do, am I ready to meet my king? Am I ready to step into his presence? You know, Am I ready to say, hey, Jesus, me and you, let's do this thing. I've loved the life that you've given me, but I'm ready for the next chapter. And we let God speak to our own hearts and our own lives, living with at least one eye to the coming of Jesus Christ back again. Are you ready? Are you ready in your relationships, in your life, in your journey? Are you ready to stand before your king and say, 
this is me. And that question has caused me pause. And I would simply say, let it cause you pause this morning, not fear or anxiety, but just pause to come into God's presence and simply say, God, is, is there stuff you want to do in my own heart and life and journeys? Are there things that you would have me do today? And so we're going to sing one more song. And during this song, maybe this is your time just to talk with God. God, I want to be ready to meet you. What is it you'd have me do? What is it you have me say? Maybe there's some pieces, some things that God wants to work out in your own heart and life. But you do business with God and let he speak to your heart and your soul. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, what a powerful book. <laughs> not because it tells us when you're coming back or not because it gives some just crazy symbols and things of the future, but because it makes us ask the question, are we ready? Are we ready for King Jesus? Father, for the men and women students in this room that you do that work in our heart and lives, make us ready. <laughs> Draw us, call us, talk to us. Speak to the things that we would do in this life to be ready for the next. If someone doesn't know you, maybe this is the first time they're really hearing the gospel or they've been thinking about it, that today is the day they go all in. They just surrender. Jesus, I'm yours. But also, Father, you just, <laughs> you encourage our hearts. You win. I know it looks like everything else in the world wins right now, but the truth is you win. Your grace wins. Your mercy wins. Your truth wins. Your hope wins. You win, Father. Let us stand in that hope and that victory, bringing encouragement to each and every one of us as we journey in this chaotic world of just craziness. God, let us stand trusting you, believing you, knowing that you work all things for our good because of your very good heart for us. We love you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Hey, thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with a friend. A special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. If you'd like to find out more information about giving or to see what's going on in the life of our church, please visit us at fccsantamaria.org. Thanks again for listening and God bless.